Um, Today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 6, and Luke 15, 25 to 32. And if you're going to follow it in your church Bible, it's on page 1048. I just feel like God spoke to me about letting his word read you. So as we read God's word, may it read us and speak to us. The parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go out after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. This is the word of the Lord. again. Father, we, uh, as Jonas said, we want your word to read us as we read your word. And uh, Lord, we, we are here this morning to, to grow a little bit more into the likeness of your son. That's, that's what you want us to do, uh, inch by inch, little by little, to become more like him. And Lord, we, we want you to uh, do that stretching, that growing in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the last few weeks, and I did say weeks, not months, maybe it feels like months, I don't know, uh, but we've been looking at this parable for the last few weeks, and it is uh, known, um, familiarly known as the parable of the prodigal son, but we are beginning to realize it's not just about that one son, it's about the two sons. Uh, 
in the story because both are lost, both are away from the Father, both have alienated themselves, gone away from the Father, and both sons need to be brought back home, brought back in, uh, coming into the party of salvation, the feast of salvation. And uh, that is, uh, uh, well, there's lots of radical messages that Jesus puts across here, but that's one of the radical messages that Jesus puts across through this story, through this parable, is that you can be lost because of both reasons. You can be one of the, uh, the ones who are lost because of uh, going your own way, uh, choosing to live a life of sin or immorality or uh, doing what you want to do. Uh, that's one way of being lost. There's another way of being lost that Jesus describes, and that's this, this, the doing the right thing. The righteousness, uh, the obeying, all of that, that's another way of being lost. And that's what we were talking about and thinking about last week, this elder brotherishness tendency that, that we might have uh, as Christians so that we expect God to do what we want him to do because we've done all the right things. So therefore, God, you should... We've earned it, haven't we? That's, a, that's perhaps an elder brother tendency. And yet there's more in the parable to unearth. There's more to tease out and uh, and easily miss so we're going to look at it again this week and then next week we'll round it off next week what i'm planning to do is uh because um you've heard me a lot on this but i want you to hear tim keller himself explaining the story and 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 uh, and rounding off the series so we're going to watch the video uh next week instead of me preaching it and and the way he puts it is very powerful so please do come and hear that next week but as we've heard last uh, in the last few weeks these this parable of the third is a, a, a group of three. Three parables in Luke chapter 15. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And, and as you read them together, you, you begin to hear the, the, the theme that's going through them. And, and the message and the meaning begins, begins to sort of get into us and begin to teach us. Uh, the three things that I want us to, to begin to think about and learn this morning, if you like, or ponder this morning uh, are on the screen. The cost of reconciliation, the fact that there is a missing elder brother, and the, the wonderful truth that we have a true elder brother. Three things just to ponder this morning uh, from these stories. So the cost of reconciliation, and that comes through particularly in verses we've looked at before, but verses that we'll read again, verses 29 to 31. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because... This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What did it cost to bring the younger brother home? Well, at first glance, it doesn't seem to cost anything. It doesn't seem to be a, a cost involved because the father just goes out, the father welcomes him home, the father gives him things. He, he first of all embraces him. He kisses him. He gives him a new cloak he gives them a new ring, and that's on the surface free. And people who have studied this parable and, and, and tried to understand what Jesus is saying through it and by it have, have said along the lines of this, that, that, that actually it doesn't cost God anything to save us. 
It doesn't cost God anything to, to free us from sin. Because this is what Jesus seems to be saying. There doesn't seem to be a cost to the pardon. There doesn't seem to be a cost to the forgiveness that God gives us in Jesus. In fact, there doesn't need to be an atonement. There doesn't need to be a substitution for sin. Because Jesus seems to be saying here that it's all free. And, and people who have said that have said something like this. That God in heaven is like the Father. He just accepts and forgives those who ask. There's no need for the, the classic Christian doctrine of atonement. Uh, Christians have taught that God, however, Christians have taught that God cannot simply forgive, that there must be payment for sin. Here we see that reconciliation is free. Now, that is one way of viewing it, but I don't think that's right. I think that's wrong. I think that's a mistake. And I think it misses what Jesus is saying in the parable. Yes, reconciliation for the younger brother is free, but it costs someone else a vast amount. Now remember, the elder brother is furious. He's angry, furious with his father for welcoming back his younger brother. We, we looked at that in detail last week. And he alludes to that with these words, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate my friends. And yet you kill the fattened calf for him. And the reason he's so angry is because of the cost of reconciliation. Remember that the, 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 property's been, the, the property has been divided. The, the younger son has got one third, the older son has got two thirds. And so the younger son has squandered his part, it's all gone, there's nothing left, and so the older one who's got two thirds has still got his share of the estate. And yet the younger brother's part of the estate has all gone. All of it. And yet the father's restoring this son into his family. He's put a fine robe on him. He's put a, a ring on him. It's not just any old ring. It's a signet ring. And in those days, if you had a signet ring, that was a seal on a document, on, a, on the wax. It would have sealed the document. It's a very important ring. Even the sandals mean something. Because if you're a servant, you don't have sandals. You just have bare feet. If you're a son, then you have sandals. And yet he squandered all of the property and now he's back. And every robe, every ring, every fashion calf has to come out of someone's pocket. Everything the father had now is legally the son, the older son's property. He's the heir of everything. Everything that's left. And so all of that, all of that property, all of that gifts that's been given to the younger son has got to come out of someone's pocket. And ultimately it comes out of the elder son's pocket. And again, as I said this before, verse 31 is literally true. The father says to the, his, son, his, young, his older son, sorry, everything I have is yours. And literally, that's what he means. It is all yours. And so you see, the party that the father throws for this rebellious one isn't free at all. Someone's got to pay for it. It's expensive. Remember last week, I was likening it to a, a, a party, a barbecue you might throw Maybe for your friends, you might throw it for your family, you might throw it for maybe a few neighbours, uh, and that's going to be relatively expensive. But what happens if you open your party up to everyone around you in the whole village? Thousands of people. It's going to be costly. You're going to have to go to Tesco, you're going to have to go to Sainsbury's, and you're going to have to buy up the whole shop. It's going to cost a huge amount. And so you see, the father cannot forgive the younger son except at the expense of the elder son. 
We've got to grasp that. You've got to somehow get that hold of that fact. That cost has to be borne by someone. And the older son is the one who's got to bear the cost. It is costly reconciliation. And then we realize that the older son is not willing to do that. Which gets us to the second point. That we, there is, in the story, a missing elder brother. Remember, Jesus is telling three parables to those who are listening. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Someone goes out to find the sheep. The shepherd, of course. He finds his sheep, brings them home. There's a party. In the story of the lost coin, there's a, a woman who lo- loses a coin. It's a precious coin. She sweeps the house. Eventually finds it. Throws a party. And so we get to the third story. The son goes away from home. He's lost. And so we expect that someone is going to go find him. Bring him home. But they don't. No one does. Now the elder brother knows that reconciliation is not free. And he knows that he's the one who's got to pay it. He knows that. Either the younger brother comes back in, he earns his way back in, into the family. That's one way he could have done it. He could have earned his way back in. Look at verse 17 because he says it in the story. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Here, and I will go back and say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. In other words, I will earn my way back in. So that's one way he could have come back in. Or forgiveness. Or salvation through forgiveness. Either way, it's not free. Either way, the sinner's got to pay or someone else has got to pay. Now you and I know this, and we experience it in our lives. So just, just say someone says something wrong against you. Or does something wrong against you. So just say, for example, you lend someone some money. You lend them, a, I don't know, 50 pounds. And, and you lend them on good faith that they will pay that back to you, that, that debt, if you like. They will pay your £50 back to you. And yet they refuse to do that. They don't give you back the £50. Or what happens if someone says something about you behind your back? And they talk about you behind your back. They gossip about you behind your back. And you've got a choice. And, and, they, and, and, and you, you, know, you find out. And they, they don't say sorry. They don't actually own up to it. So at that point, in either situation, of many others as well, there's a choice to be made. Either you forgive them or you absorb the cost. There's two choices. So the, for the money one, either you're going to say, okay, I'll, I'll absorb the cost. I'll, I won't demand it back. Or you will forgive them. There's a cost to forgiveness. Either they're going to pay you back, do the right thing, or are you going to absorb it and forgive them? There's a cost to forgiveness. The elder brother knows that that is the case. He knows that either the the younger one's going to come back in and be forgiven, or he's going to have to absorb the cost. But what does he do? He refuses. He refuses to pay up. 
And so we listen to the story and we begin to realize that this is a Pharisee. This son is a Pharisee. He's hard of heart. He's unforgiving. He's unloving. He's not going to do it. He's not going to let him back into the family. And so we begin to feel sad about that. And we think, oh, that's sad, isn't it? But Jesus doesn't want to stop at that point. He doesn't want us to stay at the point of feeling sad. He doesn't want us to stay at that point. Or we might be in sympathy for the elder brother and say, well, actually, I understand that. I understand that, you know, that's the way it, it, it was. And, you know, I might have done something the same myself. You know, why should he pay? Actually, that wasn't his fault. He didn't go off and do the wrong thing. And so you see, Jesus is asking us and leading us and inviting us to get to the point when we're thinking, well, who should have gone out to search for the lost son? And the first century people around Jesus knew the answer to that question because they understood the culture. They were in the culture. And the answer to that question is, it's the elder son. That was his role. That's why he got two-thirds in the first place. It's his job to sustain the family. It's his job to keep the family together, to sustain the name and the reputation of the family in the community. He should have said, Father, my younger brother's gone out and done the wrong thing. He's, he's, he's gone away, he's spent all his money, he's done the wrong thing, and I'm going to go and look for him. That's my job. That's what I'll do. I'll bring him back into the family at my own expense. But as Tim Keller said in the video that you heard, Jesus doesn't put a compassionate elder brother in the story. Instead, he puts in a recalcitrant, resistant, self-righteous, pharisaical elder brother in the story. And the father's got that kind of boy to deal with. That's the elder son. But praise the Lord, we don't. We don't. Because you see, the elder brother in the story is there to make us long for the true elder brother. An elder brother who, if when we go astray, which we do, won't hold it against us and expect us to pay him. But he will go out and seek us and save us and bring us back to himself. And so Jesus, you see, actually is lifting up a mirror to the Pharisees, asking them to look at themselves and ask them to think about who they are and what they're like. These people are self-righteous. These people are conformists. These people are religious. These people think they've got it all right. They do all the right things. And Jesus is asking them to look at themselves in that story. And in the story, the younger brother gets a Pharisee for an elder brother. But in our story, we don't. We get the true elder brother. Because we get Jesus Christ. And so that's our last point. We have a true elder brother. There's a story told by an American preacher whose name is Edmund P. Clowney. And Edmund P. Clowney tells a story about a man who goes in search of his younger brother during the Vietnam War. I just I want to read you an excerpt from Clowney's sermon that he preached on the prodigal son. It's a really good illustration of what I'm trying to teach you of what Jesus has done for you and for me. I quote, During the the war in Vietnam, Army Lieutenant Daniel Dawson's reconnaissance plane went down over the Viet Cong jungle. When his brother Donald heard the report, he sold everything he had, left his wife with $20, and bought passage to Vietnam. There he equipped himself with soldier's gear 
and wandered through the gorilla-controlled jungle looking for his brother. He carried leaflets picturing the plane and describing in Vietnamese the reward for news of the missing pilot, his own brother. He became known to the locals as, I can't say this in Vietnamese, but I'll try, An Toi Phi Kong, which means the brother of the pilot. Life magazine reported his perilous search in March of 1965. That's the kind of elder brother we need. The kind of a brother who goes to seek and search us out and find us. And yet that's a true story. That is a true story of what happened in the Vietnam War. But that, that doesn't get close to what Jesus has done for us, for you, for me. Because you don't just need a brother who will go from Vietnam, uh, from United States to Vietnam or from uh, one country to another. We need a, a brother who will come from heaven to earth to find us. As Tim Keller said in the video, we don't just need a, a brother who will open his wallet and pay off our debts. We need one who's going to pour out his life for us. We need someone who's not going to just pay a finite, a finite debt, but the infinite debt of bringing us into the feast of salvation. And praise God, we do. His name is Jesus. And so when the Father says, all I have is yours, that is literally true of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of the Father. The one who, when we behold Jesus, we behold the Father. John writes in his gospel, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus full of the glory of the Father and yet he emptied himself, became like one of us so that we don't have to taste the bitter taste of death because of what he's done for us. He who became a human being to experience the pain, the grief, the misery of human life. But it cost him everything. So how do we experience the Father's love? How do we actually experience in our lives? How do we get to receive the ring? How do we get to receive the cloak? How do we get to receive the fattened calf? Well, we get to receive it because of Jesus' suffering for us on the cross. Jesus says in Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. But Jesus chooses to go on the road of suffering. He chooses to drink that cup down to its very last dregs. Jesus, the firstborn of the Father, the shepherd of the flock, the one who seeks the lost sheep, the one who is the resurrection and the life, the one who is the son who becomes a servant so that we might be called sons and daughters of the living God. So what do we do? What do we need to do? Whoever preaches this parable has to preach for a response. That's what this parable demands. And so I'm going to preach for a response this morning. You may be far from God. I don't know where you are with God. You know, you know, maybe you know in your heart you are nowhere near God or you're, you're away from God and you want to get nearer God. Maybe you're like the lost sheep. Maybe you're like the lost coin. And in this story, Jesus says, come home. Come back to God. Because Jesus is there waiting to embrace you, waiting to welcome you home. 
Or maybe you're someone like we were thinking about last week, the elder brotherishness tendencies. And that takes some thinking through. But that's, that's the, if, that is, if that is you, and if that's someone that you might identify with, this elder brother type person, then Jesus says, lay that down. Be humble enough to lay that down and enter the party with the younger brothers. And as I said last week, the way to identify that is to ask yourselves a question. Ask yourself questions like, am I more interested in the father or in his things? Or is it more important to be seen to be doing the right thing than spending time with the father? Or this one. How do you respond if you see someone becoming a Christian and they've lived a wild life, an extravagant life, a a rebellious life, a sinful life? How do you respond when they become a Christian and and they behave and you behave so well and they haven't? That's an elder brother. Or are you a believer? And I don't think, I think, well, I think we've begun to grasp. The, the depth of the gospel of grace. I think we've only begun to grasp its true nature and its, and its true depth. But if you've begun to grasp that, what do you do? Well, Jesus says it's about eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. But what does that mean in our culture? What does that mean in the United Kingdom in the 21st century? Well, that means eating with people and, and, and spending time with people who are different to us. Different backgrounds, people who, who come from different backgrounds, people who don't yet call themselves Christians. And it's about getting to know people, not just the people that we sit next to on a church, a church on a Sunday. And as we live amongst people that we're different to, got different backgrounds to us, different ways of thinking to us, and as we live a, a life with Jesus, then there'll begin to be questions in their minds that ask, well, why do they live like that? Why do you put other people first? Why aren't you selfish? Why are, they, why are you honest? Why do you see God in the way that you do, working out in the way that God does in our lives? And as we spend time in people's presence, as they begin to get to know us, maybe, maybe, maybe they'll begin to see the depths of God's love for them as well in Jesus Christ. And speaking personally, and I'll speak personally for me, I can't speak for you, but let me speak for, my, uh, for myself for a moment. It's about being intentional. It's about it being intentional to get it to, about getting to know people who aren't yet Christians. Now, as a vicar, I spend a lot of time with Christians. Bless you. I do. But also, I need to spend time with those who are Christians. So, one of the things I've done, and Anne will know this, I've joined a badminton club. And, and, I, and I love badminton. I just I enjoy playing it. But it's about getting to know the people who play badminton as well. Uh, I, I sit as a foundation governor at the primary school. And I probably don't spend enough time there. But I, I want to get to know that school, get to know the teachers, get to know the children and, and spend time there so they can get to know me. One of the things I could also do is, is, is go out, you know, have meetings outside the vicarage. But it's about building a relationship with people, isn't it? It's about being distinctive for Jesus in the world. That's another sermon series. What about you? What about you? How are you going to, how are you going to get to know 
sinners and tax collectors, well, that doesn't cover all of it, does it? How are you going to get to those, those people who maybe look like you or sound like you, but actually are a long way from God? And I don't mean just getting to know them to convert them. But getting to know them because God loves them. God loves them. And we need to love them too. Because that is the heart of the Father. I'm going to finish with this verse from John the Apostle, who writes this in his letter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. At the end of his life, John wrote this, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Let's pray. Father, fill us with your love. Fill us with your peace. Fill us with your joy. Fill us with your goodness, your kindness, your self-control. So that as we mix with people around and about us, that they will begin to see you in us. That as we begin to glimpse the depth, the nature, the, the, the height, the depth, the breadth of the glory of the gospel of God, that they will begin to see you in us. Lord, we don't want them to meet just us. We want them to meet you. And Lord, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Lord, we're frail. Lord, we sin. And yet you, Lord, have chosen to reside in us. Lord, may the glory of the gospel shine through us, shine out of us. May they get a glimpse of who you are, the wonderful God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.